I'm so close to a roid rage, you don't even know. Wait, a hemorrhoid rage? <laughs> Steroid, bitch. Oh, a roid rage. I just assumed hemorrhoid. I had this eczema since I've had like four weeks ago. And I finally got steroids for it. Oh, terrific. I'm afraid it's in my eye now, though. The steroids f- are in your eye. Because it's like ointment. And I'm like afraid it's... I think you're going to be fine. They really scared me. They're like, don't put it in your privates. <laughs> <laughs> um, who said that to you? The teledoctor. They're like, don't oh. put it near your groin. And I was like, uh, <laughs> who's masturbating with... For the record, like two people, people are stupid. People would do anything. Anything for love. I would do anything for love. Even rub steroids on my privates. Werewolf vomits for spooky scary. Boys becoming <laughs> men, men becoming wolves. <laughs> Do you know that song? No. Wait a minute. You don't know that song? No. Okay, let me do it again and give it justice. It's from one of the greatest shows on earth. Not the greatest show on earth, 30 Rock. <laughs> <laughs> and Tracy Jordan has a has a novelty Halloween song that's called Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. And it goes. <laughs> Werewolf vomit is far spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. <laughs> That's really good. It's like, it's truly the greatest. I mean, happy Halloween. I love Halloween. It's my favorite day. What are you going dressed as? Um, you know what I'm gonna go as? Someone I'm who go, is scared I, of the th- coronavirus? No, um, I'm going to go. Because I'm huge, like my pregnant belly. So I have to honor that somehow. Yeah. So I thought I would go as a snake, but have like some kind of rat tail coming out of my mouth. (laughs) I love that. Isn't that that cute? Quinlan. I thought of it just the other night. QFG Posner. I know. I love that. I know. I'm just kind of still trying to figure out how to do the rat coming out of my mouth because it's not ideal to have a costume where you have to like hold something in your mouth. What for is the something you to be can cool. eat a lot of that's red? A rat tail is red. Oh. I want it to look like the tail of a rat and I want right. it to be kind of big. Hard, right? right? Hard. Yeah, I have to figure it out. Um, I'd ask for help, but by the time you reach me, dear listeners, the deal will be it's done. It's too late. It's too late. To order fries. Um, <laughs> always feels that way, doesn't by it? By the way, y'all, adding that to the playlist, folks. We talked about sexy costumes for, like, the width of a minute, of right. a second, uh, last should, time. I Have you ever been a sexy costume? Well, that's what I wanted to tell you. I have... Um, thoughts about sexy costumes Mm. and I realized at like the ripe age of I don't know it had to have been like 31 or something that I had never done a sexy costume and is this my year for a sexy costume oh are you 31 yeah yeah maybe it is um (laughs) get ready everybody uh it's by myself no one's around (laughs) I can't even like do it pawnkins to have candy it's the whole thing I think you're like just hanging out here watching a movie so it would be really appropriate if you (laughs) showed up to to hang out with my married friends who are both (laughs) pregnant that feels actually really manipulative and terrible well we'll see what happens (laughs) (laughs) tits out horrible (laughs) funny though um so I decided it was time for me to try the sexy costume so do you want to know what I went with 100%. I went with sexy Phantom of the Opera. So here was the outfit. (laughs) Let me tell you. I wore fishnet tights and heels and a man's, um, it's so sexy, and a man's white collared shirt Mm -hmm. and a cape. And then I did half my face very badly burned. And the other half had uh, a beard and mustache, like some facial hair. And then I slicked back my hair like a man. And then um, I painted my hand white so that I could hold it over the burn and peek through the fingers like it was my mask. 
You didn't want to buy a mask. I didn't want to buy a mask, and I wanted to be able to... It, Part of it was I wanted you to see the Do you burns. have a picture of this? I'm sure I do somewhere. Please post it for but the dear readers. Sexy Phantom of the Opera was the direction I ended up going in, and it was truly one of the costumes I'm <laughs> most proudest of. My Halloween is always, what do I have in my closet that I can make into a costume that I don't have to buy anything new? Last year was the sexiest. I was... Um, I was Anna from Pen15, so it was like a 17-year-old girl. Oh, you did great, though. I remember that Yeah, I that looked costume. a lot like her. I had a little midriff was... I wasn't happy with personally, but it was perfect for the costume. And part of your f- what what was so good was your friend Allison was a really good Maya. Maya. Because she you did the bang did curl. Like, mm-hmm. it was really perfect. Um, we I got I ended up throwing out those. I should have kept the outfit because I could have recycled it this year because the new season came out and it's so fucking good. Another one I was proud of was I was Fifty Shades of Grey. So the premise is sexy, but what I did is I took every piece of grey clothing that I had in my closet and I wore it. Oh, I wish I knew you had done that. I would have sent <laughs> Cole with you. He could have been Charlie Tango, which, dear readers, is the name of Christian Grey's helicopter. <laughs> I can't believe you knew that. I One year I was a tourist and I wore like my mom's old fanny pack. And I just used a lot of blush, and I gave myself a really bad sunburn. And I just wore, like, like state sweatshirts and high socks and sandals. And So, I again, it's like I go for the creative. I like the creative. I like the homemade. My mom always did really fun homemade costumes for us. Um, I remember being really young and going to school. I was probably in fifth grade. And I remember one of my friends was a sex worker. <laughs> yeah. One year I was a shopaholic when I was a kid, where my friend's mom was very glamorous. So we wore like a beret and like fun stuff. And, and then I, all the candy I put in my shopping bags. How cute is that? That's really cute. And then the one that I, the sexiest costume, this is definitive because I had a Halloween party when I first moved to New York in my old place in Williamsburg. I was Walter White, but I just wore tidy whiteies and then a big men's button down. And then I drew a mustache on my face, like a goatee. You know how that, and the boots. Oh, uh-huh. That was Breaking Bad. Oh, that's That's, that's good. like sexy, but I, facial hair, similar to yours. It's like the sexy, but I have to make it funny. I like that. I like it. Um, and sexy was just because I was walking around in men's underwear. <laughs> yeah. Weird. I think I've been David Bowie from Labyrinth. A number of times, and so has Matt. So there's sort of um, a who wore it better vibe about that costume. Right. Store bought. Here's my thing on that. It's I get it. It saves time, but really, like I think you can do better if you just make yeah. it. Even even if you do worse, it's better. Right. Is what I'm trying to say. I, I'm not. I. I'm not good at making the costume. No, I look terrible, but the, it's fun to explain what you are. You know, it's fun to it's be like... It's fun to have some confusion ensue. I, it's a conversation starter. My dream scenario for my parents, if I, as a child, could dress them up, I want my da- I want them to both wear black robes, and I want my dad to be Antonin Scalia, and I want my mom to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh. I think it'd be a cute couple costume, because he's conservative, and my mom is liberal, and I think it would be... And they were best friends, and my parents are married... I think that would be a great... My mom could wear, like, glasses and a little collar. Oh, I like it. Happy anniversary of the podcast. It's not the the anniversary of us releasing it, but we started recording it around now. Really? Because remember, we were going to air it. We can't get precious. Anyway, we're going to air it, I think, in uh, October 31st, and then... But 52 will be a big one, because that'll be... Year. We'll have to do something special for that. Yeah. Should we do the same story and, like, really research it? Like, divide it somehow? Maybe. Something cute like that. Something... Should we commit a crime for our 52nd episode? (gasps) I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier. And tell everyone about it? And that's the true crime aspect? No, we just stop and we say, we did a murder. And then stop and then see if they solve it. Oh, like, let them solve it. Mm Mm-hmm. I like an audience participation. I want to tell my story. You are so excited. I want to tell my story. All right. Is it a Halloween adventure? It is spooky. Welcome to Truly 
darkly. Creepily. That's Carrie Ipema. And that is Quinlan Posner. And you are a Patreon subscriber. Thank you. Are you not? Ooh, oh, this got awkward ooh, quick. Oh, should we Ouch. go? You know, what? I, you know what? I have to do something else. Bye. Just kidding. We're still here. <laughs> God, we're so nice. How generous are we? A free podcast? But are you? That's Spanish for. For you? <laughs> <laughs> Carrie speaks two languages. She's a genius. You don't think that's something worth paying for? Then I don't know what is. Then I can help you. I know. Tell us the story, Carrie. Now this is a story, y'all. <laughs> Not that one. Okay, sorry. It's scarier. Halloween. Scarier. Okay, it is scary. Um, okay, so I got this information from Wikipedia, Murderpedia. All oh, that's interesting. Although Wikipedia really fucking delivered on this one. Okay, so this is a story of Catherine Knight. Do you know her? No. You don't know her personally? Haven't hung out in decades. Good. Probably for the best. So she's born October 24th, 1955. And I know that's important because we're releasing this in October. So happy birthday. I hope it's not that happy. She had a tough go at life. She had a tough upbringing. Her mother had four kids. And then she had an affair with this guy, Ken Knight, who was her co-worker. And they were in a very small town. So when news of the affair came out, the two of them left town. They then proceeded to have four children, including a set of twins. And the youngest of the twin girls is Catherine Knight. Her father was a bad alcoholic and not a good guy. He was violent and would rape her mother up to 10 times a day is what's reported. Like, not something you should see at all. One of the consequences was that her mom would then tell her these lurid details of her sex life and be really open with her daughters and how much she hated men and hated sex. One interesting anecdote was... Catherine at one point was like, my boyfriend wants to do something and I don't feel comfortable. And her mom was like, suck it up and do it. You know, like it was not a healthy relationship in any sense of the word. Catherine was sexually abused, assaulted by several members of her family until she was 11 years old. What's with this fucking family? Not a healthy situation. Psychiatrists do accept her claims because it was corroborated by members of her family that the, that those events did happen. The uncle that she was really close with ended up killing himself. And so shortly after, she moved out of that town. And she claims currently that this ghost visits her. She was alone. This ghost? Her, the ghost of her uncle visits her. Oh. She was a loner. She was a bully. Although she claims to have been like a model student when she was in a good mood like she was she got awards for being a good student but she ended up dropping out of high school at 15 whatever high school is in Australia I'm sure but uh she dropped out at of school at 15 years old and she didn't know how to read or write wait Mm-hmm. So it's not all really adding up for me, the winning awards for... I don't know. I, what were they for? I participation? Wonder, I think she had a lot of participation trophies. I think probably, like, she didn't have a good situation. I wonder if anything good that she did, they, like, rewarded her constantly so that maybe they thought this would, like, make her want to strive to be better, but she was still a bully for kids. Right. So much so that she injured another student with a weapon, and apparently a teacher injured her but was acting in self-defense from her. Jeez. Catherine Knight has a violent reputation. She's not chill. She's something is fucking wrong. So she can't read or write and she leaves school and she goes to become a clothing cutter at a clothes factory. By the way, do you say clothes or clothes? Clothes. Clothes. With a th or I think mine just sounds like the word clothes. Weird, right? Like close the door. I just was wondering. Some people say clothes and it sounds it's too right. Much work. Yeah, I don't need my tongue to do that much action. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> um, so she has, she goes, so she goes and she's cutting at a clothing factory. And then eventually she gets her dream job, like six months later or something, um, cutting up offal at the local abattoir. Do you know what an abattoir is? A slaughterhouse. Got it. Right? So this is her dream job, apparently, according to her. She loves to... Butcher animals. Yeah, sure. They then promoted her to boning, where they gave her her, their her own set of butcher knives. Which I don't know if any of the story that I've told you is ringing a bell, but like 
she's pretty violent. So yeah, they gave her a bunch of fucking I mean, I knives. I just like the idea that if she has a resume after this, she gets to write boning on it. <laughs> <laughs> we should all be so lucky. And she loved these knives so much that at home, she hung them over her bed because they would always be handy in case she needed them. When you're in bed, you just... Yeah, you just reach up. Never know when <laughs> yeah, you need you a knife. Know. You never know. Got it. Um, in 1973, she meets this guy, David Kelly. He's a drinker. He's violent. They find each other. It's a pretty combustible match. They mentioned briefly in the Wikipedia article that uh, they started dating, and then he also partnered with her twin. So I don't know what freaky stuff was going on there, but... I'm just setting well, the that's scene. that's their business, Gary. That's their business. She's boning during the day and he's boning her twin. Catherine was known for threatening those who upset her in, around the local groups. She just was aggressive. She would, like, back David up in fights. And she... They just were, again, a violent crew. In 1974, a year later, she wanted to marry him. And I think she pretty much coerced him in that they showed up to their wedding on a motorcycle and he was three sheets to the wind, super drunk behind her, which I like that she was driving and he was behind her holding her. I Mm -hmm. just like that look. But when they got to the wedding, Catherine's mother pulled him aside and this is what he says she said. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. (laughs) Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her, cheating on her, She'll fucking kill you. She's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. So everybody knows Catherine has got shit. Okay? The wedding night, they get married. It's the wedding night. What do you do on the wedding night? Fall asleep? No, no, no. They have sex. Yeah, boning. They have sex one time. Sure, two times. Sure, three times. Yeah. He then falls asleep. Do you know what she does? She goes, no, no, no. I want it a fourth time. She, she strangles him. To death? No, she tries to. She doesn't kill him. Um, <laughs> she just strangles him. Dang. She's horny. Yeah, she's a horny lady. Um, <laughs> she likes to bone. Horny gal. She likes to do the boning. and the. Bo- I mean, she loves a bone. Um, so she's pregnant at this point because... They bone so glad all the time. They created life. And while she's pregnant, she just burns all of his clothes... And uh, then she hits him in the back of the head with a frying pan. Do you want to know why? Tell me. Well, he came home late from a darts competition. Well, don't do that. (laughs) Well, the good news is he did make it to finals. That's why he was late. But not a good situation when he comes home. All his clothes are burning. He's got a freaking frying pan over the head. He stumbles to his neighbors. Then to Uniqlo. And then to Uniqlo. Gotta get all new shit. (laughs) Gotta get all new shit. Um, And he has a fractured skull. But he's treated. He's fine the police want to charge but she talks him into dropping the charge so no charges against little Catherine. may 1976 so this is a year later or so after she gives birth he leaves her for another woman and you know what this don't sit right with her no 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 so the next day she's seen pushing her baby in the stroller like really violently back and forth back and forth so They call the police. She's diagnosed with postnatal depression, and she's put in the hospital. She gets out after a couple weeks, and she has her two-month-old. And you know what she does? She's like, I got a great idea. I'm done being a mother. And she puts her baby on the railroad railroad track, knowing that the train is going to come soon. So, like, you know how, like, damsel in distress on the railroad? Yeah, she does that to her two-month-old child. She goes into town, and she brings an axe, and she starts threatening to kill people. Luckily, a guy named Old Ted found the baby, picked the baby up about a minute before the train comes. Oh, my God. So she's in town threatening to kill people. She's arrested, taken to the hospital, but she signs herself out the next day. Oh, so she had the authority to do that. Yeah, she was right. She was cured, apparently, a day after. She oh, was cured. That's she was fast. Fine. Very quick. Must quick have been turnaround. really good doctors. Quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah, good system in general that this is all happening. <laughs> and clearly nothing poor is happening to this woman. A couple days later, 
She slashes the face of a woman with one of her knives that she keeps above her bed. And What's she, the woman doing in well, her bed? The, she wasn't in her bed. <laughs> she just took it because she needed it from her bed. She went, she wanted to get in the car. Oh, so it was a little bit premeditated? The, no, the woman was driving and she wanted a ride to go find her husband, David. You know, so she slashes her face. The woman runs away like a hero and goes to the police and then when they come back, Catherine had seen another boy, so she took him hostage and was threatening him with a knife. So the police attacked her with a broom, and then they admitted her to a psychiatric hospital. So she told the nurses her plan was to kill the mechanic at the service station because he fixed David's car, um, which allowed him to leave. And that then, seems fair. And then she was going to kill her husband and then his mother when she went to Queensland. So when the police told him of like her plans, he left his girlfriend and then moved in with his mother. But Catherine's released and then she moves in with David and his mother. Oh, second chance. <laughs> they believe in second chances. They believe in clearly dozens of chances. So she's released. They have another kid in 1980 and then twist of turns 10 years into their marriage in 1984 she leaves him (laughs) wild wild times so then she meets this guy david sunders okay another david she loves david in 1986 couple months into their relationship they move in together with her two daughters and you know he's out late he's partying and she gets a little jealous so she throws him out luckily he kept his old apartment so he would go back and then she would beg him to come back. And so he would come back. And this all kind of hits a fever pitch in May of 1987 when she cut the throat of a two-month-old dingo pup right in front of him. Do you want to know why she does that? <laughs> oh. It's just to show him what would happen if he happened to cheat on her. Maybe then, the crazy killed your dingo. And then... She hit him over the head with a frying pan. You know? No way. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little, it's like a cartoon vibe. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So in 1988, she gives birth to their child. They stay together, which again, I'm going to, I was going to save this for the end, but I think it's important to know this woman beats the shit out of her partners and they all have babies with her. And my question is, is what is she doing right? And I'm doing wrong. Do I need to be crazier? <laughs> You're like, why am I single? Why am I the single one here? You know, this is the question I Get have. Get yourself a frying pan. Get just like, what is, gotta love that boning. She must have had a magic sex box. She must have had the most magical. Dybbuk box we've ever seen. <laughs> Dybbuk box we've ever encountered in this show. So 1988, after she knocks him over the head and cuts a dingo pup, when she gave birth to a third daughter, he then was like, I should make an honest woman. We should get a home. He puts a deposit on the house, and she decides to decorate it. And so she decorates it with, like, animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, pitchforks. You know, the whole house was covered in this stuff. Huh. That's interesting. So the two of them had an argument. And, you know... They're tough. And what does she do? She hits him in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Does he die? No, he doesn't die. He leaves. And then he comes back and he finds that she cut up his clothes. That's kind of her M.O. And so he goes into hiding. And so she's like, this is the father of my child. I got to find him. But because his friends care about his safety, they're like, we don't know where he is. And we're not fucking telling you. So several months later... He comes back because he wants to see his daughter. But in the meantime, Catherine had gone to the police and told them some baloney story that he was abusive and there was a restraining order against him or an apprehended violence order. I don't know what that is. But he can't see his kids. He can't see his kids. So 1990, she meets another guy, John Chillingworth. She got away from the Davids, went to the Johns. She gets pregnant with her first boy named Eric. She, at this point, has how many kids? Four? She has three kids. Two. Two from first David, one from second David, and then now four. Now the fourth boy. And now a son. Now a boy. From John. Got it. From John. And I liked this John guy because there was really not much about him except she cheated on him. (gasps) 
with this guy, John Price. It just goes to show you the thing you fear most is the thing that affects you the most. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So she leaves this guy, John. John, everybody says, is just like a really good guy. He has three kids of his own. He's divorced. He knew of her reputation about town. It does seem like it'd be a hard thing to avoid her reputation, considering all the people that she's stabbed or whacked in the head or cut up their clothes. But his kids liked her, and he was comfortable. He made a lot of money from mining. So she moves in with him. Feels so crazy to me. She moves in with him. In 1998, they had a fight where he was like, I'm not marrying you. He, like, refused to marry her. You know what? She was pretty pissed. But I think it shows growth in that what she did was she filmed these items that he, quote, stolen from work. He had had this job for 17 years. Like, he was beloved there. And she sent it to his boss. What they were was he went through, like, all of the outdated medical things, and he took them. But because there was, like, a zero-tolerance policy, he got fired. Oh, dang. Yeah, not a good situation. It's weird. It's like when I... It just reminds me of when I worked at Sam Goody. Uh, We used to have to throw away CDs if they were, like, had something wrong on the label or something you Isn't weren't allowed fucked? to take them home yeah i did i had to rip clothes at ralph lauren and it was so, so fucked it was like this is not right so after he got fired he knew it was her he kicked her out the town heard about what she did but a couple months later they just can't quit each other and they got back together but he wouldn't let her move in because boundaries They fought more and more, and it got so bad that a lot of his friends were like, I can't be friends with you when you're with her. Like, a lot of people were trying to get him to hit his bottom so that he was done with her. And in 2000, February of 2000, the fights got so bad that she stabbed him in the chest. He didn't die. She misses a lot. Or she aims correctly, where she doesn't want to kill him. She just wants to hurt him. So he kicks her out. He then goes and gets a restraining order on her. He's like, this is really fucked. And on February 29th, he goes to work and he's like, hey, guys, listen, if I don't show up tomorrow, it's because Catherine killed me. I think it's so crazy when people say that. When it's people crazy. go to their friends and are like, if I turn up missing, here's who killed me. It's so, so all crazy. All of them were like, don't go home. Yeah. Don't go home. And he's like, no, I'm going to go home. He arranged his kids to have a sleepover. He went over to his friend's house until 11 o'clock at night. He came home. He went to bed. Um, he got murdered. She shows up. <laughs> There's no way this ends differently. This doesn't end well. I mean, what part of this story did you think was going to, like, end well for anyone who comes into contact with this woman? So he sends his kid to a sleepover. I said that. So that day, Catherine went and she bought some black lingerie. And she filmed her kids and would make comments that would later become, like, sort of like her intentions if she died of sorts like a will but she drives to john's house john's sleeping she sits hangs out grabs a shower she watches tv for a bit and then in her black she wakes him up and i guess the sex is good because he has sex with her and then he falls asleep and then she takes her knife and she stabs him 37 times in the midst of this stabbing, he goes and he tries to turn the light on. The blood evidence supports us. He tries to turn the light on. He gets up. He tries to get out of the house. He opens the door. So there's blood on the door. Something happens where he either falls back or something happens, but or she drags him back into the house. And then what she does, <laughs> it's really fucked. She somehow goes to an ATM, withdraws $1,000 of his. Then she takes his dead body. She skins his body, hangs the skin on her meat hook. She then cuts his head off, puts it in a pot of vegetables. She cuts parts of his body off for meat, and she cooks it. And she serves it with baked potato, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. She puts two settings at the dinner table, and she puts notes beside each plate, and she writes his kids' names with the intent to serve his children, their father, 
This is not the kid she had by him. This is his kids. She doesn't have kids by him. Oh, right. Mm. Okay, okay. This is speculation, but she makes a third plate. They later find it in the backyard. The like dog. she tried to eat it. Oh. Well, she killed the other guy's dog, but she I tried to eat maybe it. Maybe she was trying to feed it to his dog. And I don't think she could. She then posed his body with a left arm draped over like a liter soft drink bottle with the legs crossed. And she laid next to him, took a bunch of pills, and passed out. But she's alive. Whoa. What a fucking wild series of events. So at 6 a.m. She really lost it. She fucking lost it. At 6 a.m., the neighbors notice his car isn't gone to work. And they know they're freaked out for him. They're like, don't go home. They're like, he said, we got a call. So they call work. Work is like, yeah, he's not here. Like something's wrong. They're calling, calling. Finally, the police show up. They go to knock on his window to see if he's up. And they notice blood on the door. They call the police. The police come at 8 a.m. They open the door and they find this scene. The head was in a pot heated up. Like it was, the pot was hot. I wish that didn't rhyme. Um, (laughs) She had left a note that was a photograph, a note on top of a photograph of him that was like covered in blood and bits of flesh. And she wrote, time you got back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You too back for Ross, for little John, his son. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. It's not spelled well, but it's important to note she wrote this and all the accusations in the note were found to be groundless. Well, None I didn't really understand them. To you be shouldn't. Very it involved clear. rape and it involved touching with dicks. I don't know. So obviously she's arrested. All signs point to her. The kids never ate their dad, though, right? No. It was just a setup. It was, like, intending, and I think shit just got crazy. Well, that's an understatement. She claims that she blacked out, that she doesn't remember anything. Okay. Well, Well, all right. Okay. So she tried to plead guilty for manslaughter. She offered a guilty plea of manslaughter for this, and they (laughs) rejected it. Yeah. Then, in her arraignment for murdering him... She entered not guilty. Oh, bold. Um, then during the jury trial, they were like, hey, if any of you jury can't handle, like, graphic images, you can leave. Some of them left. Then they, like, opened the witness stand. A bunch of people left. Finally, like, they were like, this is not looking good for us. The next day, she changed her plea to guilty. So there was no need for a jury. There was a planned psych assessment um, to make sure she understood the plea and the ramifications because she still wasn't admitting guilt. Like, she, there's no reason why she had pled guilty. Her legal team was trying to claim that she had amnesia and disassociation, which could have been supported, which I think was supported by some psychiatrists. But they did consider her sane to withstand trial because she did suffer. She suffered from borderline personality disorder. That was a conclusion from psychiatrists. But again, there was no reason that she ever gave her guilty plea because she doesn't accept responsibility for her actions. She still she was saying, I'll do a guilty plea just to like be done, but I I didn't do it. But yeah, she's like, well, she's like, I'm not at fault. Like, it's not my right. I was, I have amnesia. I don't remember what happened. Okay. Okay. Uh. She fucking cooked him. Like, that's I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you skinned him. Like, what? And then you took pills and passed out. Like, what? Why'd you take the pills? You know, you know what you fucking did. At the sentencing hearing, her lawyers asked that she be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts, but they rejected that. Because they yeah, like, that's wild to me. Protect her from it? I get Well, she doesn't remember. She fucking did it. She doesn't remember. Well, um, she should still, uh, regardless of what sentence you think she should get, she, part of it should be sit here and listen to what you listen goddamn did. Listen to what you did. fucking did. Um, when they described the skinning and the decapitation, she became hysterical and had to be sedated. I don't care. <laughs> Sorry. I don't particularly care. There was a complete lack of remorse. So... She was sentenced to life imprisonment. They refused to fix a non-parole period. I don't know what that totally means. Like, I think they refused to kind of delegate when she would be up for parole. I believe that's what that means. But they marked her papers never to be released. She's the first woman in Australia to, uh, in the in Australian history to ever be sentenced this severely to a life imprisonment, no parole. In 2006, she appealed 
and it was dismissed, and the judge just said this was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. What blows my mind about this case is how many times she showed she's a violent criminal with no remorse, or how many times she did something so heinous and then got off, like got a complete buy on it, that I wonder if she thought that's why the guilty plea didn't take any responsibility because it was like, oh, I was fine in all these other moments. I could claim I forgot all these other times. Not that that was her reasoning any other time, but like reading this story was so fucking insane to me that it was like she did this to four men that we know of. I mean, John, they don't say about what she is, but I can't imagine her being like docile and not violent with one person. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. And the other thing is... She's not hot. And that's the biggest crime. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, she's like scary looking. She looks a little bit she like... She looks like a person that would do this? Yes. <laughs> like she looks like Charlize Theron and Monster. Sometimes you should judge a book by its cover, dear readers. But like what is going on where these men put up with being stabbed? Yeah, that is... Mold, like, multiple men, multiple <laughs> times. I don't know. I found, I found the, uh, the old uh, gender reversal a little refreshing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I Look at the bright side, Carrie. <laughs> it wasn't a man hurting a woman. You feel? <laughs> <laughs> Fucked Equality, up. you know? That's a crazy story. Right? It's nuts. I right? can't believe I didn't know it, and I'm really glad that now I do. So we never have to talk about it again. <laughs> it's very spooky scary. All right. Let's, you know what? Let me do this story so we can really? eat some food. Oh, yes. So you know who's in charge of dinner. Like You are? I don't have to ask to know. Do we want to order food? What's our vibe? Yeah. Okay, cool. Of I've course. been ordering a lot of food and you I'm think like, we're going to come spending... out of here and start cooking? I've been spending a lot of money and I'm like, do I care? The world is ending. Order in. <laughs> okay, so my story is I teased this last week. I'm, I think this is a super fun story to do around this time of year because it's extra spooky. Um, I'm going to be telling some stories about uh, time slips that have happened, and you'll get the picture when I start talking what I that feel means. Like whenever I hear time slip, I hear a nip slip. It's it's different. It is. It's different, but the different same. Different than a nip slip. But also the same. same. I got my info from Smithsonian Magazine, hoaxes.org, Strange Earth Blogspot, Mm. and a Medium article by Neil Rose called The Liverpool Time Slips and Mysterious Occurrences in Bold Street. Okay. All right. The first time slip I'm going to talk to you about happened with three uh, Royal Navy cadets in 1957 Britain. Michael Crowley from Worcestershire was one of them. Is it Worcester? No. I think it's Worcester. Really? I don't know. It's spelled like... Worcestershire. With a hundred letters. They always are. They're so weird. I love you, UK. It's weird. But okay. maybe it's not. Worcester. This is easier to say. Mm, I don't have to say it again, though. So okay. I guess I, I'm not committed. It's the place that's named after the, the seasoning <clears> you sometimes put in burgers. That's all we need to say. You don't say I'm going to put some Worcester on this. No, you don't. I could be wrong. I'm fully... It's never happened before, but... There's a first time for everything. Uh, Ray Baker, they said he's, that's what they said about him. He's a cockney. I was like, can you say that? <laughs> I I guess I would never say a cockney. No. He's cockney. Yeah. A cockney felt like slurish or something. I, like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> is that allowed? Um, William Lang is a Scotsman. And weirdly, since this is a story about time travel and he's a Scotsman, I kept picturing Jamie from Outlander but then I found out all these boys are like 15 so I had to immediately stop picturing Jamie from Outlander because that makes me feel inappropriate feelings toward a 15 year old so I was like turn that off or you're That's going hard, to you mind turn you that faucet off yeah, yeah it's a problem not cool um so don't picture Jamie from Outlander whatever you do dear readers <laughs> <laughs> or your pervert or your pervert Okay. Named and owned. So one October morning, they're taking part 
through the Navy in this map reading exercise, and they have to navigate their way across five miles of countryside to a specified point, and then they come back to the base and they have to say, like, this is what it looked like, and if it had gone the way it was supposed to go, they would have been describing the Suffolk village of Kiersey. So they go to town, which is where it leads them. Town looks like normal from above, but as they descend into it, it gets really silent, like creepy, like no people, a stillness in the air. There's no wind. It just feels like the quality of where they are is bizarre to them. And it's also fall. It's October, but it suddenly like appears to be more lush than that, like greener, Mm. maybe like spring. No one's around. And it is a Sunday morning when they're doing this early. So I don't know. Okay, maybe no one's around. But it gets weirder because not only is no one around, but no cars are around. And they don't see any streetlights or wires for streetlights. Then they're kind of like looking around, looking at the houses that they can see, the structures they can see. Mm -hmm. And they all look really old, like hand-built, timber-framed, almost medieval old and they go up to the nearest one which is a building and they press their faces against the window Mm -hmm. and the windows are kind of uh, caked in like grime okay and they see it's some kind of butcher shop and there's no tables or counters in the butcher shop so it's almost like it would be empty or closed but there are two whole oxen carcasses skinned and they kind of look green and old and the windows are just so dirty they're sort of like this feels like they're, I don't know, it predates health grades, at least. It's definitely like... <laughs> grade pending. Not cool. <laughs> grade, grade pending in the window. So they go look in a house, and again, it has that same feel. Like, dirty, moldy, like, and abandoned. There's, like, nothing in the house. And it feels like the... The vibe of the house is a style that just predates the time. So, you know, it's nothing that crazy, but they feel freaked and they beat it. And when they get back to the top of the hill, the town sort of changes. Like they look, they hear church bells and uh, it sort of fills with people again. And three of them all experience the same thing? Yes. Wow. But one of them doesn't really remember it later. He won't, but two of them do and corroborate. I'm talking later, later. One of them says, it was a ghost village, so to speak. It was almost as if we had walked back in time. I experienced an overwhelming feeling of sadness and depression, but also a feeling of unfriendliness and unseen watchers, which sent shivers up one's back. I wondered if we'd knocked at a door to ask a question, who might have answered it? It doesn't bear thinking about. So creeped. Right. They go and they kind of explain to their superiors what's happened, and they're a little skeptical, but at the same time, they're like, yeah, that sounds like Kiersey. You did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they kind of put it to bed and move on. But 25 years later, William is still, like, bothered by this and thinking about it. He reads this book by Andrew McKenzie, who's a leading member of the Society for psychical research and he writes him and he's like what do you think of this that happened psychical, to me wait, what is how do you, spell it? What do you sell it p-s-y-c-h-i-c-a-l psychical psychical william writes him and is like what do you think and andrew's like it sounds like this could be a case of retrocognition otherwise known as da, 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 time, time slip. slip this is the rarest reported kind of psychological phenomena to ever happen but Andrew's heard of it and it be this actually becomes the lead case that he writes about in a book he publishes on this and he calls it Adventures in Time among some of the details that sort of hit home for him is he realizes that William has identified this butcher's shop and at the time that he was looking in the window of this place, Mm -hmm. it was a private residence in 1957. And it was one when they revisited in 1990. The building itself, though, dates back to 1350 and was a butcher shop in, like, the area of 1790. Oh, weird. Yeah. Also, the boys say that when they were in the town, they didn't notice um, a church 
or a pub or anything. They're kind of listing what they didn't see. And St. Mary's Kiersey dates to the 14th century and is a major landmark. And it would have been totally visible to anybody walking down this main street that they were on. They couldn't have missed it. This author, Andrew McKenzie, is like, I think that these cadets saw this town as it was in the aftermath of the plague. And that's one of the reasons that the church wouldn't have been built because they started its construction and then the plague happened and they stopped for a while and it would have been obscured. You wouldn't have been able to see it. With all the cases I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you at the end some kind of evidence that's sort of like damaging to the case. Okay. So in this case... Windows were were really, the windows they were peeking in were really expensive. Like, that was a big deal. Right. And the town got rich later. Right. So it it just screws with Andrew's timeline of, like, was this post-plague? And it was, like, decrepit and run down as it would have been. Right. But then why would there have been glass in the windows? Um, It can't be both. Okay, let's move on to the next time slip. This time slip happened in Versailles. On August 10th, 1901, two English women, Charlotte Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain, went to the gardens of near Versailles. They were on vacation together. They were both academics. I don't want to say they were on vacation together because I think it was they were actually doing something that had to do with their work. There were two women academics in 1901. I love yeah. that. I love that. Principal and vice principal of St. Hugh's College, Oxford. Cool, right? Way cool. So they're touring Versailles, and they want to find the Petite Trianon. I'm saying it that wrong. That is absolutely correct. I have no doubt <laughs> in my mind that that is how you say it. It's a neoclassical chateau that was located on the grounds of the Palace of Versailles, and they want to go see it. But they get kind of lost walking around looking. They end up passing an empty farmhouse, and there's a plow line on its side on the ground, and they suddenly both have this, like really sad sinking feeling like a heaviness and then two men pass them in these long greenish coats and they have three cornered hats and the women are like do you know the way to the petite i'm not gonna fucking say it again anyway they're directed go down that path okay cool so they go down this path and they get to this gazebo And again, they're having this weird, flat, fucked up, dark feeling. And they also have this feeling like the gazebo's not really there. Like, almost like what they're looking at behind it doesn't look real. It almost looks like a painting or something. But everything just feels very still. And then they notice this man. And he's got a really pockmarked face. And he looks at them and kind of glares at them. And they feel a little scared of him or like apprehensive of him or like he has a bad energy about him. Right. They get the heebie-jeebs. He just, you know, their blinks are on. So they kind of walk away. Somebody approaches them and goes, hey, you're going the wrong way and seems a little panicked almost and is like, go this way. And they go through a sort of field and they're told to cross this small bridge and they do, and they arrive what they assume is the petite Trianon. And they see a lady sitting on a stool sketching and she's wearing an old-fashioned dress and she looks up at them she's like doing charcoal and looks up at them and makes eye contact again throughout all this there's this feeling of just intense gloom the article i read about this was like and then a footman walks up and i was like a fucking footman how did they know it was what does a footman look like? All I picture is you the clearly dog don't watch and Downton Cinderella. A- you clearly don't watch Downton Abbey. They have different outfits. It's a whole thing. Oh, okay. It was I like think a footman. So. I think you can tell like if someone's a footman versus someone's a butler because of the way that they're dressed. All right. Well, a footman comes out and uh, he tells them like, oh, the entrance is on the other side. They walk to the other side. They see a wedding party. The dark mood totally fucking lifts. It's like it's gone at the chateau and nothing else unusual happens like they. Yeah, they're there. They see it. It's fine. They go to lunch. They don't talk about this. Like and I think they don't talk about it because it's that thing where it's like, did you feel that? I don't know if I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you think you experienced it alone because nothing that I just told you is that weird. No. So they're like both feel weird, but they just go to lunch and don't say anything. But then later when they're back from this trip. They end up talking about it, and they're like, whoa, you got the creeps, too. I got the creeps. 
And then this is all in French, so that's probably verbatim. I got le creeps. Crips. Char- <laughs> She's like, you want a crepe? <laughs> no, le creeps. Charlotte is like, hey, and how about that lady that we saw sketching? And Eleanor's like, uh, what lady? So then Charlotte's like, weird. She was right next to us, looked directly at us. There was nothing else around. I don't know how you could have missed that. I'm weirded. Let's do this. Let's both sit down and write the shit we remember from that day mm-hmm. and cross compare because I'm curious. So academics academics so pretty much they have like everything in common it's just weird Eleanor didn't see this chick but their accounts are pretty similar and Eleanor looks into it and realizes that the day that they went to the palace was the anniversary of the sacking of Tuileries Fuck, why do I have to say yeah, these things? I can't believe you choose French ones. This is really hard. In 1792, when Louis XVI... Is it, is it XV11? Just one. XV1. Yeah. 16th. Takes you a minute to do that. To get there. Oh, yeah. I was so, trying to help from afar. Math. I don't know if you know, but I'm very good at it. <laughs> so when Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette witnessed the massacre of their Swiss guards and were imprisoned in the hall of the assembly. It's the anniversary of that. And it I guess they talk to other people in here that rumors that it was haunted and that sometimes people see Marie Antoinette. So then Charlotte looks at a picture of Marie Antoinette and is like, that's the lady sketching. What? Yeah. And even their clothes were the same. So Eleanor's like, what? We got to go back. Goes back to Versailles, January 1902. And can't fucking retrace their steps. Like, everything about where they went has been altered. She's like, what in the actual fuck? Like, there's no bridge. There's no gazebo. She's like, what? Whoa. She does, like, some more historical detectiving and finds out that Marie Antoinette had been sitting at Petit Trianon when she learned that the mob from Paris was marching toward the palace gates. So, basically, the more they learn, they're like, it feels like we... Not only did we, like, have a time slip where we maybe went back in time, but we feel like we were inside someone's memory. Yeah. And that would also, it turns out, explain the weird feeling they had, like, the heaviness. Right. Because it's, like, this doom feeling of what's about to happen. So they write to the Society for uh, Psychical Research, and they're not smelling what the ladies are cooking. They're like, whatever. We're not into you. And right. so the women are like, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll fucking do it by ourselves. Well, leave it to women. So they're doing heavy research, okay? Because they work at Oxford, so. They got the connection. Much like myself, they had no prior knowledge of what Versailles looked like in 1789. But they're going to figure it out. So they look, they're like, all right, we've got these accounts we wrote down before we did any research. So right. that's what makes it. That was what makes it, like, valid that they yes. have it. They're not it influenced it by the outside world. Yeah. Here's what they discover. They saw a plow, but no plows had been kept in the gardens in 1901, but a plow had been displayed in the gardens in 1789. They crossed a small bridge. I told you, they couldn't find that bridge, but they did find out it existed in 1789. The guys in the green coats. Yeah. They matched the description of the uniforms that Marie Antoinette Swiss Guard wore. Wow. Also, that pockmarked man that gave them the hebes, uh-huh. he exactly resemble, resembles the Comte de Vaudrille, which was one of Marie Antoinette's, like, enemies. Like, a guy she was not pals with. So that feeling of, like, ew, not that guy. Right. I want to know, like, if they found her sketching and they found an image of those two women. <gasps> That's what I really want to happen. You're going to be disappointed because that didn't happen. happen. The footman, Mm -hmm. he rushed out of this building and slammed the door, and they found out that door was barred and bolted shut when they were visiting, and it had been for years. And then, obviously, the sketching lady that they think is Marie Antoinette. The damaging information here is that they found out later, this is such a buzzkill, man, they found out later that they added a couple things to their account of what they remembered maybe later so it's problematic because what we think happened is that they did that because people weren't giving it the attention that the women wanted 
So they might have embellished a little and thereby discredited themselves. Um, And another point people make is that they could have been at the time in the 1900s, there was like a guy that lived nearby that like doing reenactments and like maybe he did a reenactment. But that to me, I'm like, okay, immersive theater explains it. I don't know. Uh, That doesn't explain they wouldn't have built a bridge and had a field that wasn't there into this. And it also um, it feels like he would have had to tell the people at Versailles he was doing that. Yeah. They didn't see anybody. And the door was locked. There's like a lot of like And they didn't see anybody until they saw the wedding party in modern day dress like them and stuff. So it Okay, we're going to move on to Spain. Mm-hmm. Two British couples, Jeff and Pauline Simpson, and their friends Lynn, Lynn and Cynthia Gisby, go on vacation together in 1979. They get a ferry to France and they drive down to Spain. And that's like their big plan. They're going to drive from France to Spain. On October the 3rd, they're going to stop and stay at a hotel kind of near Montalimar in France. They go into the hotel and it's full, but this dude in the lobby that works there, he's wearing a purple suit, uh, memorable, and is like, oh, I'll tell you where to find a hotel. So they start driving down this cobbled stone road and there's like cute, weird, vintage looking posters for a circus. And then they roll up to the place and it's next door to a police station and it says hotel and they go in and they're like, can we get a room? And the dude doesn't speak English mm-hmm. um, that works there, but he gets, like, what they're saying. And it's a hotel, so I would so assume like, I his think I know context clues are in their favor. So he gets them rooms. They go in, and the rooms are cute but super weird, like, really outdated. There's no glass in the windows. It's wooden shutters. And there's no – the way you lock the door is, like, a weird wooden latch. And there's no phone in the room, and the plumbing feels really old. I don't know what that means, but I picture gross. But they're like, okay, cute. And they go down for breakfast in the morning, and everyone at breakfast is wearing olden days clothes. Even the policeman from the police station next door. And they go to the front desk, and they're like, hey, can you give us directions to the auto route, which I guess is like the highway, like back where we need to go. And the guy, again, like maybe it's a language thing but he doesn't seem to know what they're talking about but he does give them directions to a sort of older road that would lead them to the highway Uh so to me i'm like okay even if he didn't get the word right he would still have led them to the highway right but he doesn't then they're like can we have the bill he's like yeah here it's 19 fucking francs which is crazy low like insane like less than three times the amount they would think they would have owed and they're like this is a mistake and he's like no it's not a mistake so they all leave and they're like that was weird and then on the way back from spain they're going by that area again right and they're like let's go back to that weird hotel that was so crazy they find the right road but they can't find the hotel So they go back to the original hotel that they weren't able to stay in. And they're Mm -hmm. like, hey, we talked to a guy that was wearing a purple suit. And da-da-da, he told us about this place. And the people there are like, no, no one here wears a purple suit. That feels aggressive. That feels like (laughs) such a... They're like, we would never. They know the wardrobes of all their employees. No. No. Um, So whatever. They end up fucking... Having to stay somewhere that costs 200 francs instead of 19, and they're seriously bummed. So then they get home, and they're looking through... Both couples took pictures on the trip, and they're both going to look through their vacation pics. Right. And they took pics of that cute, weird place, and none of them are there. But it's not like um, they're, like, ghosty, like, weird... They just are gone. They're They're just gone. But I don't know how they know this, but I read that it looked like the camera registered that they took the pictures. It just didn't record anything. Weird. Anyway, they do look up images of policemen um, and realize that they're wearing what you would have worn in 1905. Wild. The damage on this story I'm going to give is that uh, they drove a car up. Yeah. Wouldn't somebody be like, what the fuck is that? And like, yeah. And their money wouldn't have been like. Same. That was my. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And no one said anything about their money in the account. Like, no one was like, weird money. Right? Weird. So, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to do... I've got uh, a couple short ones now from Liverpool that I'm going to give you. Because yeah. Liverpool must be a hot plasma spot. Hell yeah. Only Andrew knows, but from last week. But <laughs> we'll have to ask. The, and these are fun because they're also really... Uh, modern they happened pretty recent all of them yeah okay so 1996 frank and his wife are doing shopping and they're doing a stroll through town and frank just so you know former police officer he's not like nonsense he's not into hooey yeah no hooey no thank you no hooey dewey or louis for him (laughs) just franks they're gonna go to waterstones which is a large bookstore But Frank bumps into a pal and is like, oh, I'm going to chit-chat for a minute. Go ahead. So his wife leaves. um, And then he goes to meet her at the bookstore. He reaches the street, Bold Street, where the bookstore is. And it doesn't say Waterstones. It says Crips above the door. And he's like, that's weird. And he's about to cross the street and a van almost runs into him. Hmm. And the van looks kind of old and timey and says Cardin's on the side. And it has one of those horns when it beeps at him that's beep, like, beep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's looking around at the cars driving past and he says they are all old fashioned. So he's like, is it a car show? It's like cars from the 50s and 60s or something. And the people, he starts looking around and they're all dressed kind of old and daisy too. Like the women have like head scarves on, you know, just like yeah. styles that you wouldn't. I don't know. Frank is like, what is going on? But then he sees a woman with a purse that has like a modern day logo Mm -hmm. on it. So he kind of relaxes and they look at each other and smile and nod. Um, And he looks back to the what he thought was the bookstore, but is Crips and has handbags, shoes, umbrellas, stuff like that in the window. And he's like, what? But he goes in. And so does the woman he just saw right behind him. And when he walks in, everything shifts. It turns into a bookshop. And he looks over at the woman and she goes, that was strange. I thought it was a new clothes shop. And then she just walks back out. Weird. But he never stopped talking about that throughout his life. And he did research and found out that Crips was a woman's shop and sold clothes decades before. And Cardin's was... um, a Liverpool firm that owned vans around that time, like the 50s. Weird. 2011, Liverpool. 17-year-old girl named Imogen goes into Liverpool to buy her sister baby shower stuff. She goes to a mother care store on the corner of Lord Street and Whitechapel, and she picks up a bunch of stuff. I don't know, baby shit, bibs, whatever. Everything she's picking up for the baby, she's like, oh, my God, these prices are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, maybe it's because they just opened. I didn't know about the store. Like, God, I would love to go shopping in an old time and get so many great deals. That's really what's so sad. So then she goes to pay with a credit card at the counter, and they look at it weird and go get their manager and are like, we don't take this. So she's like, oh, I don't have any money with me. Oh, well. Doesn't take anything from the store. Goes home. Tells her mom what happened. And her mom's like, wait, where were you? What? That store closed years ago. There's a bank there. It's my bank. I bank there. What are you talking about? And Imogen's like, I was just fucking there. Give me a break. So they go there. And it's a, and bank. It's a fucking bank. Can't find it. Weird. Okay, this is our last story, and it's 2006. A 19-year-old named Sean shoplifted in Liverpool, okay? Okay. He ran away from the security guard at the store, and he goes to Hanover Street, and he turns onto a dead-end street called Brooks Alley, and he immediately feels all the atmosphere change. And he reports kind of that same... Gloomy, dark, heavy feeling. Totals. He waits for the guard because it's like a dead end he's fucked but he waits for the guard to come around the corner after him and the guard never appears so he's like oh shit i weirdly got away goes back out to hanover street and the road looks different to him even the pavement looks different he notices old-fashioned cars driving by and people wearing strange clothes and he's like what's going on he goes over to bold street 
and he notices um, that there's traffic lights. He feels like where there wasn't before, there's bushes where there was like, it's not set up the way it just was in his head. It's not consistent. So he starts to feel panic as you would. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my cell phone gets out his cell phone, but can't get a signal. So he sees a kiosk selling papers and he goes over and looks at the papers and it's the Daily Post and it has the date of May 18th, 1967. Whoa. And he's like, what? So he looks down at his phone, tries it again. This time it works. He looks up. Looks up, totally returned to the present. But the weirdest thing about it is that when it turned to the present, he could still look down the road and see some things from 1967. Like, still see people. Like, it was almost like a window still. Whoa. He's so creeped. He just gets on the bus and goes home. And he gets interviewed by a local newspaper later. And he over and over again just gives this same account, same account, same right. account. And then they interview the security guard that was mm-hmm. chasing him. And he's like, yeah, I ran after him. And when I turned down the dead end alley to go after him, he had completely disappeared. Ooh. Yeah. That one gave me the heebie-jeebies. And Sean, this 19-year-old, like, he's a, no offense, he's not like a history buff. So some of the details he came up with in his account that he told, they were all historically accurate, which just didn't feel like it would have been in his body of knowledge necessarily. more? What do you mean, how are there not more? Are there so many more time there, slips? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, I didn't tell you all the time slip stories in the <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, that? That was a little presumptuous of me. Um, Quinn just told me you, every time slip story ever in the history of the world. The first couple I told you are pretty, are, I would say the women in Versailles, because they wrote a book called The Adventure about what happened to them. And the couples are the ones you will come across most if you're, like, looking up time slip stories. Yeah. The others, maybe less so, but um, I think there's a, like, kind of an endless supply. It's a little like alien abduction or something, wow. where if you keep looking, you keep finding. Um, I got to look for one of those alien abduction ones for next time. But I thought it's interesting that one of the guys that's, uh, I mean, people want to be like, oh, he's a shoplifter. He's trying to, like, come up with a cute story to get off the hook or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there are these academics that... <sighs> told yeah. the story there's a policeman that told this story they're all different walks of life they're all different ages all different walks of life and a lot of it in many cases was something they couldn't name and couldn't qualify so when you ask about um more of them think about those 15 year old boys that didn't really talk about it till 25 years later and think about the women that that, that were, were like, academics that was weird and, and didn't talk about it right away it didn't yeah, because sometimes it's it. so much of what they experienced was a feeling as well yeah. as what they saw. Wild. Yeah. <gasps> that was so smart of that last guy to look at the newspapers. Yeah. That's wild. And that wasn't accessible to many people in the other stories. Um, I wonder what the point is about those glitches. Like, do you think they're an accident? Or do if, if you, if we're, if we're. Assuming that they are all real and valid, yeah, there's got to be a purpose for them. You well, know, like there's got to be a meaning behind. Maybe and that's it's what, me when assigning. When I talked about Project Pegasus last week, that's the thing. People like um, Andrew Basiago are saying there are these places where this can happen because of I don't know. I don't totally Human understand interference, it. and there's somewhere it's a phenomena. Yeah, and like it's, it's like the wow. idea that you could make plasma do a certain thing, and it would create a tunnel. And it's sort of the idea that it's natural things that happen already, but if you can manipulate it, you can create this time and space warp. Or it's the idea that if we are, if time travel is real and it is being done in any way, shape, or form by a government entity, is it accidentally pulling people here and there, places they don't, shouldn't be, and then spitting them back out? Right. I don't, you know, I think it's, it's crazy. So much it's so fun. cool. It's so cool and so wild. It's so happy Halloween. Ah, uh, speaking of which, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. <gasps> I can't wait. What do you want to get for food? Sush. Yeah, sure. Really? Yeah, I'm down. I think we should get dumplings too. Me too.